So my name is Marcus. I'm, if you're new here, if this is your first time, I'm not the usual pastor here, but I've been asked to speak today on um, this passage of Mark that we're going through, and uh, specifically Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 24 to 30. Um, I'm just going to open with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to come together to worship you and to, to hear your word, Lord. And I pray that as we're gathered, that you would make your message known through me and open our ears to hear and, and open our hearts to understand and also to be convicted by your, your word as it might convict us and to do what it asks us to do. And so I pray this in your name. Amen. So I thought I'd start with a map because... Because I like maps. And um, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes you're looking for a place. You're, maybe you're reading a book or something. And something comes up. And you see this name. And you're like, where in the world is that? And then you look. And you go and Google Earth. And you're going around. And suddenly you're traveling through Bangladesh. Or the hinterlands of Colombia. And you just... Uh, oh, so it's, it's neat to look at maps. Um, the passage today, which we're going to read in a moment, but it starts with Tyre and Sidon, which if you look at the very top of the map there, see right up at the top, very top is Sidon and Tyre, and they're sort of often referred to as sister cities, and then you can see the area of Galilee uh, and Judea and Samaria, and so those are the areas where um, Jesus would primarily travel and teach, and so you can see up there Tyre and Sidon is, is out of that area. Now the next map, I've got another one of that same area zoomed out a little bit. Uh, a little harder to see. A little harder to see. Where is it here? There's Tyre up there. If you look up there and there's Sidon. So anyways, it's still there. Uh, they've got slightly different names. It's in modern day Lebanon. And um, so those cities are still there. And I thought, um, so we can go back to the other map there for a second. But I, you know, to me, that was kind of neat because sometimes we forget um, the Bible is real, you know, it's not just a book, it's not like Lord of the Rings or something, some sort of fictitious story, it's like these are real people, real places, um, steeped in history, and um, and so it's it's good to know that. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, the other interesting thing about that area, as we're, as we're going to get into this in a minute here, is that that area, as you can see there, it's called Syrophoenicia, so... Um, Historically, that was Canaan, and it was occupied by the Canaanites. And um, as we read through the Old Testament, through Exodus, and uh, as the uh, Israelites come out of slavery and they go through the, the desert, and God's telling them to drive out the Canaanites and to purge them from this land. And that area specifically was given to the tribe of Asher. And uh, Asher apparently... Um, they shirked at their duties because they came upon Tyre, which was a heavily fortified city like Jericho was, and they're like, hey, we can't, we can't take the city. So, they, so that's why that area remained um, Canaanite territory. Apparently the, the Asherites forgot what God did for them in Jericho because he defeated, um, of course, Jericho knocked that city down. So Tyre and, and Sidon, um, coastal cities, very uh, influenced by the world, lots of trade, very wealthy and um, very pagan, and so this is where our story starts today, and also, we could probably 
take that off now so we're not always looking at the map. Um, but um, we see that we see that this area was was a thorn in the side of the Israelites and had great influence on them, not to their benefit. And um, Jesus, through his through his ministry, didn't really stray into that territory very often until now in this story. Um, but the other significance of this area is and maybe if you can remember the map, I don't want to switch it on and off again, is how small relatively uh, Judea and, and Samaria and, and the Israel territory is compared to all the areas around them. And again, as Jesus brought, or as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, um, as we heard last week, there was a lot of focus on, I want you to be separate, I want you to be holy, I want you to be distinct, have no other gods before me, put away pagan practices, don't worship idols, give them the Ten Commandments. And again, as we heard last week, a lot of rules about daily living, how to wash your hands, when to do this, um, what foods to eat, what not to eat. And so the Israelites developed a sense of, you might call it superiority, maybe a bit of a superiority complex, right? They were distinct, and I think that was God's intention for them, to be holy and separate, to be a distinct people. Um, and they had also been led to this place where they understood that salvation would come as it was prophesied in Isaiah through the root of Jesse, right? Through them, salvation would come. There would be this Redeemer coming. And it was through the nation of Israel. And so they had this sense of distinction and specialness, um, which was good. But I think it led them to also possibly a sense of superiority, and I think today we might even sort of think of it as, as racism, they often would look at the Gentiles, anyone who is not Jewish, and they had this term sort of dog, they would call them dogs, those filthy, rabid dogs. Often in the, those days they would have street dogs, um, not like the golden retriever that you might pay, play uh, frisbee with here, but nasty dogs and... Um, filthy, mangy dogs, and so that was a term they often referred to as the pagans and the Gentiles. And they were told to have nothing to do with them. Some of the Pharisees even, apparently, they would not let the shadow of a Gentile pass over them for fear of being defiled. And again, as we talked about, as Lauren talked about last week, just the sense of being defiled and this obsession almost with an outer show of, of purity and perfection, but their heart wasn't true, but they had this sense of we need to stay away from the Gentiles. Um, so let's let's read here in Mark. So the passage is Mark seven, um, verse twenty-four. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And some translations also have a Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, and yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. 
And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now for a little bit more detail, remember we're reading Mark here and Mark was, uh, Mark's theme was to be more action-packed and, and maybe to be a bit more quick in the telling of the story. Maybe uh, we had a different audience in mind. He was writing in Rome, so he was writing uh, primarily to Gentiles. Um, but if we read in Matthew, if you want to flip over to Matthew 15, um, verse 21, so an account of the same story. There it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out to him, and crying out, said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me! Exclamation mark. Lord, help me! He replied, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. So he's got a little more detail and a little bit more perspective there in Matthew. Um, so again, we're looking at Jesus now for, I think, the first time making this, this foray, this trip into predominantly Gentile territory. And I think it's significant, again, Jesus is considered a rabbi. He's got these 12 disciples, these 12 trainees with him. And they're leaving really what I think would have been considered a safe place for them as far as remaining um, pure and clean and not being defiled. So now they're going into this Gentile territory, into a presumably Gentile house with Gentile people and lots of Gentile shadows around. Um, And, and as people thinking, we're Jews, salvation is for us, we're the chosen ones, the, the, the people that God has promised the Savior to, now they're going into Gentile ter territory. And here's this woman um, who's a pagan, a Canaanite. Um, well, she's, she's, she's unclean. She's triple unclean. She's a pagan and a Canaanite. Um, and a Gentile. And uh, she's a woman. Nowadays, we don't consider that as anything worth you know, associating with unclean, but again, in those days, a woman had less value as a human um, in terms of a man. Um, especially a rabbi would have nothing to do with, with a woman. Um, I think in court, a woman's testimony was worth that of uh, three women was equal to one man, something like that. So second sort of strike against her for being unclean. And the third one was just being the mother of a demon-possessed child. And I'm going to venture to guess that coming from this pagan territory where there was all sorts of idol worship, maybe that had something to do with her child being demon-possessed. And I would expect also that any desperate parent 
would have probably in that area have gone to all these idols to Baal and Ashtaroth and there was Roman gods there too that were worshipped and tried everything to cast this demon out of her daughter. And I'm going to venture to guess that probably didn't help. Maybe it made it worse. But this woman, being an unbeliever, and uh, well, turns out later, but she was a believer. She became a believer. But a, a pagan, a Canaanite, came to hear of Jesus and she sought him out and she made this trip there and even though the disciples were trying to sort of go on this little getaway, maybe they were maybe they were trying to get a reprieve from the Pharisees that were trying to track them down. Maybe they were just taking a break. Maybe this was Jesus trying to teach them that, hey, the gospel needed to go out into a new territory. Um, but they were trying to lay low, but she found them. And as we hear from Matthew's account, she wasn't well received initially. Sounds a bit like she was nagging because the disciples were like, hey, should we get rid of her? Like she's kind of kind of annoying here. She's pleading and she's probably drawing attention. Remember it says here they were trying to they were trying to um uh trying to lay low. Trying to doesn't doesn't say hide, but they were trying to um they withdrew. So Jesus initially it seems like he kind of gives her the cold stare. Now, it doesn't say that he ignored her. This is over in Matthew, verse 25. It just says he didn't answer, he didn't answer her a word. And so, it's a little bit out of character, presumably, for Jesus because he seems a little bit like he's uncaring. But he's testing her. He's giving her a second chance. And the disciples also, he's training them and of course, their response too is, "Hey, let's let's get rid of her. This isn't part of our this isn't part of our mission here, and she's unclean." But again, this woman, she kneels down, she pleads, she pleads, "Lord, help me, Lord, help me, please." She calls him Son of David. She calls him Master. Have mercy on me. And so we see that Jesus is is teaching a lesson here to his disciples. And I think also through uh, to us, he's testing her faith. This woman comes; she has she has nothing to offer. She doesn't she doesn't deserve what she's asking for. She's not an Israelite. She has no inheritance in asking for this this favor of of physical healing and salvation for her child. Um, but yet she comes. She recognizes Jesus as Lord. She kneels down in front of him. And um, she pleads with him. And um, Jesus responds that he has come for the lost sheep of Israel. So he's telling her, essentially, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the sheep of Israel. But she knows, she knows her place. And she says, Please, can I have one of the crumbs? She, she recognizes she's not entitled to what God has brought here for the Jews, but she's asking for one of the crumbs. He makes a point of dismissing her, and she pleads, she pleads more. But she tries even harder. She's asking for mercy, not justice. She hasn't earned, any, she hasn't earned anything, and she doesn't demand this healing, but she recognizes Jesus is Lord. And through this object lesson, Jesus now demonstrates what saving faith is. 
It's penitent. She's asking for the Lord's mercy. She's at his feet. She's kneeling down. She's repentant. And she's also reverent in that she recognizes him as Lord. And she also persists. And we know that we know that when we come to the Lord, when someone comes to the Lord, it is a it is there's a momentary recognition, but we also know we have to battle for our, our salvation. Sometimes it's an uphill battle and it requires work. And she doesn't just turn away at the first notion of Jesus sort of seemingly dismissing her, but she continues to plead him. And so this is also a clue now to the disciples that Jesus is is saying the gospel isn't just for the Jews, but it opens the door for the Gentiles. Even though it says, um, let me just go back to Mark here. So Jesus says to her, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So Jesus is referring here to the fact that the gospel has come, or the salvation has first come to the Jews, but is not only for the Jews. It will also eventually be to the Gentiles, but there's a matter of timing. So Jesus says, let the children eat first, the children of Israel, and she understands that she's, and she's recognizing that she herself is not one of the children of Israel. She's asking for the scraps. So Jesus is opening the door here to say, look, this salvation is not just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. But the Jews shall have it first. And for, for this faith, for understanding this, Jesus grants her her wish and he grants her the healing of her, of her child. So, the, the personal challenge that came to me from this is that I think sometimes we too can have this attitude of um, who is salvation for, right? And I think we think of ourselves as, as righteous perhaps, you know? I think of myself as a good person. I return stray cats to the neighbor's house or put in their garbage can after a windstorm and, you know, we come to church and we contribute and we tithe and I find myself sometimes thinking, well, I, I'm, you know, I guess, I guess I sort of deserve it. And I think sometimes we look at people on the outside, whether they're movie stars or athletes living the supposedly good life and, you know, partying it up or, or maybe it's a, uh, politician or celebrity or someone that really irritates us and really seems to seems to sort of put a spoke in the into the, the church and try to put a wrench in the spoke of the church I meant, right? To try to irritate um, what we do here as, as believers. Or maybe it's maybe it's even other believers in other churches. Um, or maybe it's uh, like Mormons or someone that that really seems to distract and confuse Christianity. We sort of get angry at them and we think, well, you know what? They might be doing their thing now. Would I really rejoice if I saw those people in heaven one day? Would I, would I really 
You know, do I think they're entitled to that? They're causing so much annoyance here and destruction and, and evil in some case. And, and do, I, do I pray for those people, right? Or do I kind of go, well, huh, you know what? You've got what's coming for you. You know, I might not, you know, have that life right now as a Christian here on earth, but I'll be enjoying that thing for eternity. But you, you're doing all this nasty stuff now, but you've got what's coming for you. I find that attitude in my heart. And so this reminded me that, you know, we need to pray for these people. We need to pray for politicians and the movie stars and the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses that come to our door and those that seem to to frustrate and irritate us um, because the gospel is for all the world. And so we go back to... Um, Go back to what it says in Isaiah. There's so many, there's so many um, passages where um, Isaiah 42, God is intended for the entire world. Isaiah 49, verse 6, salvation to the ends of the earth. Um, Isaiah 49, verse 26, all mankind will know that I am the Lord, Savior, Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. The Great Commission in Matthew tells us to go where? To the ends of the earth. John 4.42 says Jesus is the Savior of the world, right? So He's there for everyone. Christians, the pagans, the Mormons, the partiers, the movie stars, the celebrities. He's there for all of them. And I think sometimes we forget that and we sort of focus on... I know my wife and I have sometimes talked about you meet someone who's, who's really nice, who's a good charitable person, you think they would make a good Christian, Right? And then there's other people you think, oh, I don't know about those people. I don't know if I really want them in the kingdom of God. But I think that was the conviction for me here is that this, the gospel is for everyone, not just for the, the few chosen, but all who would receive him and call upon his name. So let's remember that. And um, that was my challenge for us this morning. It's a little shorter. I think I skipped through some things that I wanted to say, but I'm uh, going on very little sleep today. But anyways, I hope that's a message we can take home, and uh, I want you to, to pray on that and to be challenged by that this week.